Amen. You can put your hands together and thank Jesus today. And then you can be seated. We uh, started a brand new sermon series last week, and we're going to continue it um, today on the book of 1 Peter. And what we walked away from last week landing on was that this world is not your home. This world is not your home. And uh, because this world is not your home, you have been called to be different. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, right at the beginning. He says, I'm writing to you the elect exiles. Elect exiles. You are different. An exile is somebody who is sent away, is altogether on their own. Uh, but what's amazing about that is that word elect, that you have been handpicked by God to do what he has called you to do. And don't let that get too confusing for you because he's told you exactly what you are supposed to do. It's uh, often reported that uh, the most frequent question that pastors get is, what is God's will? Thankfully, I'm happy to report that our church has not asked me that question a lot. Amen. All right. Good on you. Because the scripture is clear. Abundantly clear from the front to the back that you're called to be different, that you're called to be salt and light. You're called to be a fisher of men, that you're called to be holy. And so last week we learned that Peter was writing to persecuted Christians, Christians who were in intense persecution and uh, we talked about Nero and the fact that Nero started a fire that burnt up all of Rome and then he blamed it on Christians so that he could have more fun burning them at the stake and uh, putting them in arenas for sport with wild animals and just crazy stuff like uh, making them human candles to light his parties and so if you missed that you can go online and listen to it from last week to get all those details but the bottom line is this is that our culture is increasingly coming to the point where you and I and what we believe is not acceptable in their sight. But how many of you know that we're not worried about what's acceptable in their sight? We're worried about what's acceptable in God's sight. And so there's a huge difference. Yet, why did God call us to be different? Why are we called to be holy, which is what we're going to talk about today? We're talking about different values in an unholy culture. Why? Because what you'll see is that in your difference, people will want what you have. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's so hostile on one hand for you to be so different and believe such different things. But the results and evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life becomes unbelievably contagious. And that's why God's called you to be salt and light. But let, let's read here in 1 Peter chapter 1 what exactly God is calling you and I to do right here in Tampa, in Tampa Heights, Seminole Heights, downtown. When you're driving on 275, how can you be different? You can just not give anybody the finger. That'd be a great start, especially with your Redeemer sticker on the back of your car. Uh, we, uh, we give them the, the, holy, the holiness. Hey, good to see you. Cut you off in the name of Jesus. And uh, we'll see you at church Sunday. By the way, there's stickers over in the basket if you want to represent. I'm just trying to help you be holy. You put that sticker on there, 
we'll be driving down 275 and we'll be in my car and I've got the sticker on the back and I'll start, Camden can just sense it coming up in me. She'll be like, you got a sticker on your car. I'm like, man, that just made me really holy, really fast. And so you should put one on there if you struggle with your driving like I do. And uh, just a little extra protection from the Holy Spirit. But look at First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action is that anybody else's job but yours. You can answer. No. None of you answered. It's not a good sign, folks. <laughs> What's it say? It says you have to prepare your mind for what? What's it say? Action action so by implication today if you're not seeing action it's not because god has moved away it's not because god hasn't set in front of you a mission it's not because god's not drawing people to himself it's just because you haven't prepared your mind for action some of you, as we just dive in right here at the beginning, for many of you, your greatest obstacle to following Christ is going to be your desire to fit in. And I, I'm preaching at myself because this is a great struggle for you and I. That in our culture, we would, we would look and say, well, if I compromise on that, I will gain influence. Or you, maybe you're on the opposite side today and be like, you know, we just hold to everything with an iron fist. And nobody knows that you or Jesus love them. And so we, we're caught in the middle of these, these two opposite realities of compromise and truth. And we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to prepare my mind for action? So that I would not have this desire just to fit in but to actually stand out here's what the bible says and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by your big paycheck that's not what it says is it can we be honest though today that most of us live that way We just do. I do. It, it's hard. I don't get a giant paycheck from here. Don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> That's how we live, isn't it? The more we can get into our coffers, the, the better off I will be. And God's called us to something altogether different. Here's what he says. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, listen to this, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. With knowledge comes responsibility. It's one of my favorite principles. With knowledge comes responsibility. But what's beautiful about that is it's born out of, it's fleshed out of the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. It's a get-to, not a have-to, when that is the basis of our faith. Conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, 
for I am holy. And then verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Some of our greatest obstacle is our desire to fit in. But let me ask you to listen carefully to the fact that God did not create you to fit in, but rather to stand out. God never says that you blend in. He just never says that. (laughs) there's There's not a single verse in the Bible that says, be conformed to the world so that you can do stuff. Now, I know you're going to push back on me and say, well, what about the verse Paul said where he says, I become all things to all people in order that I might win some. What's that all about? What's that all about? What about Jesus who uh, was a friend of sinners? When they went and became friends of sinners, when Paul walked into the city and became all things to all people, what was he doing? Was he, was he condoning sin? Was he participating in sin? No, he, was never, he never did any of that. In fact... If that was true, why did they beat him up, stone him, leave him for dead, and multiple times throw him out of the city? He was not blending in. He became all things to all people in order to win them to Christ. What is that? Jesus said it best. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus modeled it best, right? He comes to person after person, and he'll heal their ailment, or he'll forgive their sin and the pharisees would immediately be like who is this man that he forgives sin (laughs) he was god and what was wonderful about that is in grace he would forgive them and in grace he would heal them but it was always followed by go and sin no more there's this reality of grace and truth that you and i both live in even with the lord where we need his grace but we also need his truth because you and I are not called to blend in. To set, you're called to be set apart. Think about this, just on a really practical level. Think about the really practical side of this. What's become really normal for so many is brokenness, hurting, stress, divorce, afraid, anxious. You see, I think a lot of times we think that we think the devil comes and says, be a Satanist. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a Satanist tomorrow. Like that never happens to you and I <laughs> No, How does the devil come at you? A really stressful week. It's apparently a better strategy in America for him to just give you a lot of work to do. Because then you'll you won't follow Jesus. Then you'll be too worried about your stuff. I'm just going to leave that right there for you to think about because it's convicting, is it not? Like I look around this room and I see a lot of people who get stuff done and that's amazing, but it can also be idolatry. And so the strategy of the enemy is not to just come to you uh, with a Halloween mask on and say, join my Satanist team. It comes in the normal flows of life where he can take your eyes off of Jesus. What's the Bible say? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. To take our eyes off of Jesus and put it down here on all these other things. And when my eyes are off Jesus and on all these other things, I can't even do all these other things well. 
because I'm not even being who God's called me to be. And so we've got to move past that because Jesus said stuff like this. Think about this. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. What road are most people on today? If you find yourself on the street that most people are traveling, if nobody ever thinks you're a little bit different, nobody ever wonders why you do what you do, you might be on the broad road that leads to destruction. And then Jesus said, small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. You're called to be different. You're called to be set apart. If you're perfect today, this message is not for you. It's just not for you. I'll never forget the first time I ever said a bad word. Anybody ever say a bad word? Come on, be honest. You're in church today. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Anybody tell a bad word? (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I said a bad word. I mean, I've been a Christian. I mean, I think I was born a Christian. That's bad theology, but you shouldn't believe that. But I mean, I was just born into a pastor's home and just that was the way I was raised. And like, you know, you just go through these phases where you're like, I just I want to do something bad. I just want to do something bad. You know, most people wait till they're like 15. I did it when I was five. It's like, I want to be, a, I want to be bad. And so uh, I did two things in the same week that were just atrocious for a five-year-old. I took a, you ever see those big red wiffle bats? We used to call them Big Bertha when I was a kid. Those big red wiffle bats. Uh, me and my neighbor friend went to our other neighbor and beat one of his windows in with our wiffle bat. And I was like, I'm bad. I'm a bad boy. And uh, then in our basement that, that same week, I don't even think I even told my mom this. So mom, if you're going to watch this later, I apologize ahead of time. I confess my sins before you on, on uh, Facebook. And um, I said a bad word. I don't remember what it was. I just remember like saying it and I was like, oh, oh no, no, that was, that was not good. <laughs> I was like, I was like that like little church kid. Like I said, it, I was like, oh, I don't even think people were there. I think it was just me. <laughs> I was just like, oh. <laughs> so like I mean that was like the Holy Spirit just like oh. <laughs> and uh, you know if we were able to stop it we wouldn't need Jesus you see what I'm not saying to you is you're never going to be bad you're going to actually be perfect <laughs> why does Jesus say stuff like this why, why does he say be perfect because I'm perfect be holy because I'm holy precisely because it's bigger than you. What Jesus is calling you to is 150% more than you are capable of. You will never be holy on your own. You can't. It's not possible. So why does he call us to be holy? So that you will every day when you get up and your feet hit the floor, you will know immediately that you need Jesus Christ. That you need the Holy Spirit. And it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes on you with power, dynamite power, that you can do what God's called you to do. You can't do it on your own. You've tried. I know you've tried because I've tried. Just look at 21 days of prayer. How many times did you get up in the morning and say, oh man, I was, I was going to go. How many times did I go, oh man, I got to go. <laughs> Why? Because we're not perfect. And so in this call to be holy, in this call to be different, in this call to be an elect exile, 
You need to know that apart from Christ, John 15, 5, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Because what God's calling us to be is not just to be different on the outside, but to be different on the inside. And there's a huge difference in that. But I want you to think about this. Why, why does it even matter? Why does it even matter? Because, you know, those of you who are church people, you know, you're, you're going to say things like this, like I, like I sometimes play around with in my head. If God's sovereign, why does it really matter? Why does it really matter? If God is going to draw people to himself anyway, if John chapter 6 is true and nobody can come to Jesus unless the Father grants it and the Spirit draws, why does it matter? And if my hope is fully on the grace of God, why does it matter? Look at what Peter says again in verses 14, 15, and 16. Let me draw you back to his words here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That question is an ignorant question. Not in a negative sense, but in the sense that when you know and have tasted and seen the goodness of God in all that you've been given in Christ, all that you've been forgiven for, all that has been provided for you for eternity, you want to as an obedient child. You know, my, my kids, I got three kids and they're all amazing, but they all have these like different personalities and they all rebel in their own way. But what's amazing is that our five-year-old especially, he's got, he's real tender. He's got a real tender heart. And, uh, when he does something wrong, the worst part about that for him is not even like the consequence. He would just immediately run to me and like, Daddy, I'm so sorry. And it's just like, that's what we're after. That's what we're after. And, and as an obedient child who loves your father, who is a perfect father, it's not like you and I, he's a perfect father. We come as obedient children. And so he goes on. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then listen to this. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. There's still consequences for the decisions that you make. Just as he who called you is happy, be happy in all that you do. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. It's wrong. So many people wrongly believe that God's highest calling is your happiness. God's highest calling for you is not your happiness, but your holiness. He's not just after your happiness. I have more conversations with people who don't know, know Christ about that fact than anything. We, we, we start at this place of, but there's some things in the Bible that I don't like. Join the crowd. But we're not God. And we don't know what's best. And to think that we do is ignorant, according to the Bible. 
to believe that I, in my human finiteness, can understand what the God of the universe understands is ignorant. Is ignorant. And so Peter's calling us back to being people of holiness. Great Reformed Presbyterian theologian R.C. Sproul said it this way, we're justified by our faith. You go to heaven, you get made right with God because of what God does. It has nothing to do with you. But we are rewarded according to our works. Ephesians 2.10, right? Verse 8 and 9, we love that. We talk about that all the time. And it's amazing. By grace you're saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest anyone can boast. It's a gift of God. Then verse 10 says, and you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. How does that even go? It's a beautiful partnership. That Jesus Christ did all for you so that you could live in freedom to do all for him. The problem with that kind of theology of happiness is that it wrongly empowers personal justification. If it's all about you being happy, what happens when you aren't happy? Then God's bad. Then God did something wrong. What happens when something like Seminole Heights happens? If it's all about people being happy and safe and not holy, what, what do we think when something like Seminole Heights happens? What do we think when something like Las Vegas happens? What do we think when something like the hurricanes happen? We start to blame God. When in reality, the sheer fact that you and I are breathing is, the, is a free gift of grace. You know, the, the, the fleshing out of that theology of happiness, you know, we, we can shake our head at it, but in reality it goes like this, I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'll leave. I want this thing, but I can't afford this thing, but I'm going to get this thing. We live that way, and we'll do whatever we need to to get it before we can afford it. I'm dating, and I know I should wait, but we're in love. God understands, so we're we're going to do what we want to do and eventually get married. When we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else, discomfort, delay, risk, and suffering can't be God's will. The problem with that is the Bible specifically says that all of those things are God's will. Paul told Timothy, proclaim this to your people, that anyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and stuff. Don't we? Can we just be honest with each other? You say, yes, pastor. <laughs> Listen, I'm not up here. I'm not the only one who struggles with that. I know, I know you. Happy God exists to serve me. God does not exist to serve me. We exist to serve him. He's called us to be holy. The Greek word for holy there is, is a word called hagios. And it means to be holy, set apart, different, pure, pure. Some intentional decisions have to be made before temptation comes. Before temptation comes. If you wait for temptation to come and then decide you're going to be holy, you're going to fail. The decision has to be made. Here's who I am. Here's my convictions. Here's what I stand for. And regardless of what comes, this is what we do. And our family, we like to call it, this is what the Coon family does. If you're a Coon, we do this, right? And you, you have those things for your family. And so, like, there are things that, 
if our kids start to do something, we go, whoa, the coons don't do that. Why? Because we're set apart. We're the coon family. We are a thing. And this is what the coon family does. This is how the coon family represents the coons. All right, you ain't going to act like a fool on Thursday night and expect me to stand up for you on Friday night, right? Like, you're going to act like a coon, all right? And they could easily look at dad and say, yeah, but you're a coon too, pal. All right? You should act like a coon as well. But we got to make decisions ahead of time, don't we? We got to make decisions ahead of time. How do you do that? How do you do that? Because we can't expect to raise children. We can't expect to mentor people. We can't expect to have godly followers if we're not. Right? He says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How many, how many, of, you, how many of you know you don't just fall into sin, right? You're not, you're not just like walking along and be like, oh, I'm a sinner. You know, you're like, it's just natural. It, it's just in there. Like we don't trip into temptation. We don't like stumble on, oh, I'm a bad person. Right? Like, we're just bad. We have to intentionally work towards holiness. We don't just fall into it. The enemy is never subtle, but always sneaky. Again, it's not this concept that he just calls you to be a Satanist. No, he just calls you to be lazy, or he just calls you to be stressed out, or he calls you to be too busy, or he calls you to be whatever. Think, think about the Garden of Eden. Think about Eve. Satan didn't come as a a well-dressed businessman and say, you need to join Team Satan, and here's the five reasons why we're better. What did he do? He came as a serpent. He came as a snake. There's a reason we still, on this day, call a sneaky person a snake. Because Satan came as a snake to Eve. And what, what was it that he said to her? He didn't say, eat this fruit, you'll be awesome. He did, but that's not what he started with. What did he say? What did he get Eve to do? He got Eve to question God. Did God really say? And here's what you and I know is true. God really said the stuff that he said. And we're masters at looking in here and be like, well, what does the Greek, what does the Greek really mean that I can't have that? And the answer is, yep. The Greek English translators did a wonderful job, and it means exactly what it says. And so, we got to filter that through our life. They were filtering it through their life. It's amazing when you look at the context of what Peter's saying this to them in. You would think the sheer fact that they're intensely being persecuted and not denying Jesus would have been enough. But here we are, not being intensely persecuted. What does that mean for you and I? Can I step on your toes a little more? Permission? Here, here, here's, here's the stuff that comes to mind. Did God really say I can't watch that show on Netflix? Yeah, he did. That music with bad language, is it, is it really that bad? It is. Gossip is a sin, so this is just a prayer request. 
That's the Christian version. Wait, can, can you pray for so-and-so? He's really struggling with. Man. We just don't think we're that bad. I mean, that's been the, that's been the single thing as working in ministry and being a pastor for 11 years now. Is that we just, we just don't think we're that bad. It's the single greatest thing that I, that, I, that I see in myself. It's the single greatest thing I see in the capital C church. Just when you boil stuff down in our struggles, we just don't think we're that bad. And the problem with that is we start to compare ourselves with other people, but, but a lot of other people aren't the standard. God called us to be holy. If you have notes, I want to give you some questions for reflection. You'll see them there on your notes if you're in the YouVersion app. It's there too. If you're, if you're not, I just want you to listen to these. And, and these are revealing for you and I. These reveal where we're at in this. Just four different questions. The first one is this. What are three areas I struggle most trying to fit in? What are three areas that you struggle trying to fit in? And they're not going to be that hard for you to find. You know, if you're a mom, where do you find yourself jealous of other moms? If you're a businessman, where do you find yourself trying to fit in? If you're a teacher, if you're a, all of that. Wherever you are, what are three areas where you find yourself struggling to fit in? Number two, when was the time I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? When was the time that I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? Number three, what are the biggest ways I'm different from the world? We need to be able to answer that question. We need to be able to answer that question. What are the biggest ways I'm different from the world? And then number four, what is the area that God wants me to be different? He's called you and set you apart and put you where you're at on purpose. What has he called you to do? What has he called you to be different in? Why holy? That's where we started. Why holy? Why does it even matter? Peter answered that. Because God says, be holy because I'm holy. It's because of who he is and what he's done that I even have the desire to be holy. It's not that I have to. It's that I want to. We want to please the Father. He's been so gracious and he's given us so much. And even if you're here today and you are living in sin and you know you're living in sin, Try not to look at anybody specifically here, because <laughs> I don't know. Even if that's you, it's not about behavior modification. What we're talking about is not behavior modification. What we're talking about is spiritual transformation. The answer to your issue of sin is not looking at your sin and saying, stop it, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And then getting somebody else in your life that you call an accountability partner to start saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Sometimes that can be helpful, but that's not going to change you. That's going to change your behavior, but it's not going to change your heart. What you need is Jesus. 
You need to be transformed into the image of the Son. And Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are renewed by renewing our minds in Christ and not being conformed to the world that we live. So let me give you a takeaway if you're taking notes. It's down at the bottom. Let me give you a takeaway here. Living holy isn't the path to knowing Christ. You might you might think that that's wrong, but I want you to listen. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Listen to this. Knowing Christ is the path to living holy. There's a huge difference in those two statements. Most of us, on a day-to-day basis, try to live holy so that we can know Christ better. And it doesn't work. It's why you get frustrated in your spiritual life. We have to work on knowing Christ. And we'll find that we begin to live more holy. That's why scripture says to set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's when we'll start to see real progress, real change in our spiritual life. You see, you're called to be different. You're called to have very different values in an unholy culture. Holy values. I don't even have to go through what those are. You already know what the five biggest things that our culture thinks is wrong with Christianity. I don't even have to go through them. You know what they are. You and I deal with them all the time. It's, it's right there on the front. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to... But it's not about our happiness. It's about our holiness. And so living holy isn't the path to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the path to living holy. Amen?